This morning, we're going to be talking about two deadly mistakes. Two deadly mistakes. And I invite you, if you will, to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And go ahead and place your marker there, beginning at verse 23, as we're going to be going through this, these ten verses today. And in these ten verses, we're going to learn about two very deadly mistakes that a group of people known as the Sadducees made in the, this particular text. Now, it's interesting that as we go through the Gospels, we find Jesus Christ debating with the religious leaders of that particular day. I know there are some who think that we should never debate doctrine, that we should not discuss doctrine, that we should not refute doctrine. But yet we have the example of Jesus Christ all through his life when he began his ministry. Whenever someone came to him with error, he refuted that error, and he was willing to debate over religious matters to make sure the truth was taught. The Apostle Paul even reminded the minister Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. He says, I charge thee before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, preach the word, be instant in season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but shall heap unto themselves teachers, having itching ears who want to be turned unto fables. The Apostle Paul understood that sometimes you need to get up and you need to challenge that which is false. And certainly Jesus Christ did it in his lifetime. But today we're going to be looking at a time when Jesus was having a debate with the Sadducees. And we're going to learn about two deadly mistakes that they made in their argument. But before we do that, we need to kind of set the background for what's happening here and how we arrive at these two deadly mistakes. So the first thing I want you to see this morning, that then as now, man-made religions hold to man-made doctrines. Make sure you understand that. That man-made religions are man-made religions because they hold to man-made doctrines. Now notice what verse 23 says. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him. Here we have a case of a group of religious leaders who were a part of the largest denomination of the Jewish faith. Now, people don't always realize this, but during the time of Jesus Christ, the Jewish religion had branched off into different denominations, different sects. The ones we read about mainly in the New Testament are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But the Sadducees were the most prominent, the most wealthy, the biggest church in town, if you will. Anyone who was anybody would be a member of this particular church. It was where all the wealthy people went. It was the place where all the political leaders went. It was the one that had the nicest buildings and had the largest crowds. The Sadducees were the most prominent denomination in Jerusalem at this time. But the thing about the Sadducees is they were a man-made religion. They looked at the law of Moses and they said, like the Pharisees, that it wasn't enough, that something needed to change about it. They weren't content just simply being Jews. They had to have their own special kind of Judaism, if you will. They wanted to be something different from what the Bible just simply said. They thought they could make a new and improved thing. Now, the Pharisees, of course, they 
did the exact same thing, and what they did, they became legalists and tried to bind things upon men that the Bible did not bind, but the Sadducees went in the other direction. It's always amazing to me that oftentimes the wealthiest churches and the biggest churches tend to be the most liberal in their thinking and their doctrine. Maybe it's simply that way because they want to appeal to as many people as possible, but you had the Pharisees at one extreme going far right, and you had the Sadducees at the other extreme going far left. And this particular denomination of the Jewish people was a particular group of people who did not believe in the resurrection. They thought that once you were dead, you were dead, and that was the end of it. That is why some people say that's why they were called the Sadducees, because they were sad, you see. But that's really not where their name came from. Their name came from a man by the name of Sadoc, who was their original founder and their teacher. He arrived on the scene around uh, 205 B.C., and he is the one who established this particular denomination. He is the one that established the particular doctrine that they believe in. Now, we have historical references to the Sadducees and what they believe, but we also know just simply from reading the Bible. For example, Acts 23 and verse 8 talks about how that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in any kind of spiritual uh, being of any kind. Uh, The only books that they followed were the first five books of the uh, Old Testament because that fit best to their, their theology. They ignored the prophets. They ignored the history. They ignored everything and said, we will only believe that the first five books, the Pentateuch, is the books we're going to follow. But what's interesting is that when they got to the miraculous in these books, when God did something miraculous, since they did not believe in miracles, they said those were simply stories or simply fables. But these particular people were a part of the largest denomination in town, and as they were a man-made religion, they held to man-made doctrines. They simply made up some things that weren't true. And today we need to be very careful of man-made religions who hold man-made doctrines. The Bible is very clear that we should not be people who think we can improve on Christianity. We need not to be people who think we have a better idea than God. Instead, we just simply need to be New Testament Christians that simply follow God's Word. Uh, Jesus as he debated these particular religious leaders, whether they were Sadducees or Pharisees, he pointed out many times how that they were wrong. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 6, he points out how that they reject the commandments of God to keep their traditions. And he goes on, he says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying that you draweth nigh to me with your lips and honoreth me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. For you teach for doctrines of men the commandments of God, or you full well reject the commandments of God for your traditions. He goes on talking about these same group of people in verse 13, and he describes them as something, he puts it like this, he says, Every plant that my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And he says, leave them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind then both shall fall into the ditch. We need to understand and appreciate the fact that God wanted us to keep His religion pure, that He wanted us to simply follow His Word. 
And when man thinks that they can improve on God's plan, then they're going to get into trouble because man-made religions hold man-made doctrines. The reason why we know this is because if, it was, if there was a, a need for anything else, God would have told us. And we can't improve on God's word. But here we have Jesus debating the Sadducees, who, as it says specifically in the text here, believed that there was no such thing as the resurrection. They were people who believed that once you died, then you were dead, and that was the end of it. And so they came to Jesus to debate this particular doctrine. So we see, like all denominations, the Sadducees tried to justify their doctrine by human logic. Now I want you to notice in the text the, the logic they used, the human reasoning that they used in the text. Saying, Master Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, the first when he had married a wife, deceased and having no issue or no children, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third and unto the seventh, and the last of all the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection whose wife shall she be of the seven, for they all had her. They came to Jesus and they thought they had this thing all figured out. They thought they had a way to trap Jesus and prove that he was wrong about the resurrection. They came up with the perfect what-if situation, they thought. They were trying to use human logic to justify their position, which was against the Word of God. Now, it is always wrong to use human logic to discount the Word of God. I don't care how brilliant you think your idea is. I don't think how... care how you think that you perhaps are the smartest person on the face of the earth. Maybe your religious studies brought you to a certain point. But when any your, when anytime your religion, religious logic becomes human logic and discounts what the scriptures say very plainly, then you've run into a problem. Uh, the Bible understands this. Uh, God tells us in the book of Isaiah, he says, My ways are not your ways, nor my thoughts your thoughts. My ways are higher as the heavens of the earth are high, or the heavens of the earth are higher than the earth, then my ways are higher than your ways. It reminds us in Proverbs 14 and verse 12 that is um, not in man to direct his own steps, because if he is, that's the end of that's that's gonna lead to death. We understand and appreciate the fact that the Bible is very clear that we're not supposed to depend upon human logic. Even when you get into the New Testament. Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 where he asks the question, he says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Have not God confounded the wisdom of this world? In other words, we cannot use human logic to justify a position that is different from what the Scriptures teach. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are supposed to use logic. We're supposed to use reasoning when it comes to learning about God's Word and studying God's Word. Someone has described Christianity as the thinking man's religion because as you look at the scheme of redemption, you look at the plan of salvation, when you look at the history that goes from beginning of Genesis to the book of Revelation, there is logic involved and reasoning involved. You remember how in Acts chapter 17 when um, 
Paul was there in um, Berea, how that he, in verse 2, reasoned with them from the Scriptures. There's reasoning involved when it comes in the Scriptures. In fact, in verse 11, Paul points out, Luke points out about these particular group of people. He says, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if the things that the Apostle Paul were reasoning with them were correct. But we need to make sure we understand and appreciate the fact that human logic never takes the place of Scripture. But with that in mind, look at the argument they made here. Look at the logic behind it. Now keep in mind, they did not believe in the resurrection. And so they thought they had brought to Jesus Christ an enigma, a conundrum, something that could not be answered that would prove that their stand on what the Scripture teaches was right and prove that their human logic was right. But notice what they did. They said if a man dies and he has no children then his brother needs to marry his wife. And that was true. That was a Jewish law. It's called the Leverite marriage law. The Jews were so, it was so important to the Jews that they had an heir to take over the land promise, that the property would not be passed to someone else, that if a brother died and he had no children, then the next brother in line was to marry his wife with the purpose of giving that wife children so the first brother could have an heir. And so they came up with this idea that started on a proper premise, that is a true fact, that the brother would marry the wife if the first brother died and had no children. They start with a a true assumption, but notice how they work through it. Jesus, let me show you something. Man dies has no children. His brother marries his wife. Oh, then that brother dies and marries that brother's wife, who was the brother of the first wife. And then that brother dies, and they had no children. And so, and you can see how the story goes in the scripture. They go all the way through seven sons or seven brothers, and not a single one of them had children. But the point is, all seven of them had this one woman as their wife. And here's where that logic kicks in. Oh, we got you here, Jesus. And I can just see the smugness coming over their face. I can just see how proud they are with themselves. I can just see how they think, well, we have thought this through, and we have got this figured out, and there's no way you're going to be able to refute this one because we've put a good what if in front of you, Jesus Christ. They go on and say, Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall be of the seven? For they all had had her. Jesus, you've got a problem here. They all go to heaven. Of course, they didn't believe in heaven. They're all resurrected from the dead. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But they knew Jesus did. And they were finding a way to use human logic to beat him. And they said, now when we get to heaven... (laughs) this heaven you believe in, this resurrection that you believe in, uh, whose wife is this woman going to be? Is she going to be the first one? Or maybe the second one? Or maybe she'll be all seven of them. She'll be married to all seven of them in heaven. Oh, they, they thought they had Jesus. But Jesus, he didn't deal in what if situations. He didn't deal with, you know, questions that really had no answer to. 
He just simply said, the Bible says this. The Bible says this. Now, it's interesting as we have discussions with our denominational friends and we uh, maybe discuss doctrine with them that they too come up with what we might call what-ifs. Or they come up with things that, that, you know, from human logic standpoint, it makes sense and, and, and it sounds good. And For example, have you ever heard this one? Just as there are many roads that lead to one city, so there are many roads that lead to salvation. From a human standpoint, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, you can get to Monroe, come down 601, you can come down 74. There, there's just all kinds of different ways you can get to Monroe, and therefore that makes sense, and therefore it makes sense that there are many ways a person can get to heaven. There are many ways that a person can be saved. But folks, human logic is wrong if it defies what the Bible says. Jesus very clearly said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father except by me. Peter, when he was preaching there in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. The apostle Paul reminds us that it's only through Jesus Christ that we're going to find our redemption. It's only through Him that we're going to be saved. But as we think about this thing too, we think about maybe another what-if situation. And I've heard this many, many times as an argument against baptism. Well, what if somebody believes in Jesus Christ and they want to be baptized, but on the way to the church building to be baptized, they have a car wreck and they die. Well, you've shown me now, buddy. That just does away with what the Bible teaches. But folks, the Bible still says, regardless of human circumstances and regardless of human logic, the Bible still says in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Peter still said on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. We can come up with all kinds of what ifs, but human logic never can replace the word of God. These Sadducees, they thought they had it all figured out. They thought, well, we've thought this through and this makes perfect sense to me. This is good logic. But notice what Jesus said to them after they presented this what-if situation. Jesus showed them their two deadly mistakes in their logic. Why they were wrong, and if they continued to hold these particular views that were false, then it was going to cost them their soul. Notice what verse 29 says. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Now notice what he says here in this text. He says, there's two deadly mistakes that are happening here, Sadducees. Two things that you're missing that's so very important. He says, you don't know the Scriptures. You haven't studied your Bible. You don't know what the Bible says about this. But he also brings up the fact, 
but you don't appreciate or fully understand the power of God. Now let's take these two things and notice how, how it's discussed. First of all, not knowing the scriptures. There's two things that Jesus brings out in the text about them not knowing the scriptures. The very first thing he brings out is that they thought that the Bible taught something that it does not. Notice what verse 30 says. For in, this is Jesus speaking. He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now the first thing Jesus points out to them is that you don't know your Bible. You don't know your scripture. You need to do some more studying before you come to the conclusion you've come to. First of all, Jesus very clearly states that there is a resurrection. And he says, and the point he is making here is, if you would study your Bible and you would study it carefully, you would have to come to the conclusion that there is a resurrection, that there is something beyond this life. That's something they did not know because they did not study their Bibles is what Jesus is saying. But then he also brings out the point that they are bringing up something that is not found in the Bible. And that is, guys, where in the world did you ever read anything in the Bible about us being married in heaven? Where did you find an inference to that? Where did you find a scripture that taught that, that there was going to be marriage in heaven? That in the realm of heaven, we'd still be married to the same people we were married to here on this earth. Now, we could spend some time talking about that this morning, but that's not what the lesson's about. What I want you to understand and appreciate is that Jesus is pointing out to them the invalidity of their human logic. It's because they did not know the Bible. The Bible talks about resurrection, and the Bible doesn't talk about marriage in the resurrection. But then he goes on. He says, after saying that you don't know the Scriptures because you think the Bible teaches something that it does not, notice what he says. They ignored what it did teach very clearly. Now, verses 31 and 32 says this, and I've highlighted to make sure you get the point. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now notice what he's done here. He has taken the books that they say they believe in, the books that they say are the only books that is inspired, and he goes back to the book of Genesis, but more specifically, he goes back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, which is in the Pentateuch, which is in the first five books of the Bible, the only books that they believe. And they, he's basically saying, have you not read what's in your own Bible? That when God said, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, he was stating that those men were still alive. Abraham had been dead over 300 years when Moses said those words. Isaac had been dead almost 200 years. Jacob, a little less than 200 years. But here's the point that Jesus wanted them to say, that when Moses said, I am the God, he's not saying, I used to be the God, but they're gone now. 
that somehow or another that, that, that they have disappeared and they used to be uh, my children, but now they're gone. He's saying, they, I still am. And the reason why I still am is because they're still alive. Oh, they're not here on this earth in a fleshly sense, but their soul lives on. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And the people he's pointing to as the living are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a denomination in the world today who hold some of the same views that the Sadducees held, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you ever get in discussion with them, point out this verse. How can God be the God of someone who is dead and has disappeared And God very clearly says, I am, I still am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but he is of the living. In other words, Jesus pointed out to them, even in the books that they believe, he shows their very first deadly mistake is that they know not the scripture. They didn't study their Bibles. If they would study their Bibles, they would understand and appreciate the fact that what they were teaching was wrong. And folks, we need to make sure we have an opportunity that when people come to us with a false doctrine or come to us with a um, what-if scenario like these Sadducees did, we need to open up our Bibles and say, well, this is what the Scriptures say. You can use your human logic all day long. You can teach that this is true all day long. This may be based upon your tradition, if you will, but this is what the Bible says. And if you continue in that error, it's because you don't know your scriptures. You need to do some more study. But he points out something else here. He says, nor the power of God. Now, he's implying something that's not elaborated on in the text. But they needed to understand and appreciate the fact that God is God that is real. And that God is an all-powerful God. And that God operates in the realm of the miraculous, the realm of the spiritual, the realm of the supernatural, if you will. Now, remember once again that the Sadducees didn't believe in these things. And he's chiding them here that their logic is wrong, their human reasoning is wrong because they do not believe in the same God that Jesus did. Because Jesus' God was a powerful God. As I said, it's not mentioned specifically in the text, but they knew exactly what he was talking about when he said that you discount the power of God. But there was another preacher in another place who put it this way. When Paul was standing before King Agrippa, he asked him this question. He says, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Now, what he was trying to get him to see was, If God is really who he says he is, if he's an all-powerful, all-knowing God, why is it so hard to believe that he could raise the dead? Or for that matter, we can ask this question, why is it so hard to believe that he created the world in in, in six days and rested on the seventh day? Why is it so hard to believe that there was a place called the Garden of Eden? Why is it so hard to believe that he's preparing for us a heavenly home where we'll be eternally happy? Why is it so hard to believe that there is a place of eternal damnation called hell? Why is it so hard to believe 
that as we die and this body turns to dust, that our soul lives on with immortality forever and ever and ever. Why is that so hard to believe if you truly believe that God is God and that he is the one who has all power and is almighty? You see what he's done to them? He has shown them without a doubt that their human logic, their reasoning, their doctrine, their false doctrine, their false man-made religion was wrong because it was not based upon the scriptures and it was not based upon the power of God. And so we have the Sadducees here making two very deadly mistakes. But as I think about that, I think about the fact that if you look out at the denominational world today, Every one of those denominations, and I'm not attacking their sincerity, I'm not attacking the people as a whole, I'm not talk, talking about people as far as wanting to do what is right in their hearts, but yet man-made religions hold man-made doctrines. And the reason why they're man-made doctrines and man-made religions is because of these same two deadly mistakes. They don't pay attention to what the Bible says, and they don't think about the power of God. Now, as we close today, I think there's a good verse in the Bible that combines these two things we've been talking about today and hopefully will help us to believe in the things we need to believe. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, I don't know how many times you've looked at this verse, but this verse encapsulates everything that Jesus was talking about when he talks about the scriptures and he talks about the power of God. First of all, it's mentioned in the text, the gospel of Christ. Now, we don't often think about the gospel of Christ as being something that's based upon scripture, but it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 3, Paul talks about how that he taught those people about the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says this is the gospel in a nutshell, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says this is the gospel I preached unto you, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Even the Apostle Paul said the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was according to the Scriptures, and the Gospel, or the good news, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then this text goes on and talks about the power of God. And here's where we need to do some soul-searching and thinking this morning. If you believe in the Scriptures and you believe in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, then you have got to believe in the power of God of God to save you. Sometimes we have our own doubts about ourselves. Sometimes we think that, that there's no way in the world that God would save a person like me. But folks, if we'll do a very careful study of the Scriptures and fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you'll be able to fully appreciate and understand the power of God to even save a sinner like me or a sinner like you. This morning, if you have a need to become a Christian, we'd love to sit down and talk to you more about what the Bible says. Uh, if you have some other need as far as prayers of the congregation that would help you, or uh, some other need that you might have, we certainly want you to come forward and share those things with us. 
But as we leave here today, we need to always make sure that we understand that for everything that we do, everything that we believe in faith and practice, we need to make sure it's backed by Scripture. And we should never, ever discount the power of God. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?